Welcome, everybody. Welcome. It is good to see all of you today. I like it. Anybody else excited to be here today? Yes. Or as they say nowadays, yes. <laughs> Man, I love it. Uh, my name is Justin. For those of you who do not know me, I'm the pastor here and I'm just excited to jump in the word. Uh, what an awesome worship set this morning. I feel like I could go old school and just run laps around the building right now. I'm looking for my flag and tambourine to make it official. <laughs> uh, we, for, we have been in a series on Saul, and I just want to continue the fun that we started in worship. Uh, we're we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 19 today. Uh, this will be the first time that you can read along on the screen since we started this series, praise God. <laughs> uh, but we, we have been talking about Saul, the first king of Israel, and Saul is a, a cautionary tale. And we are going to read more about him and just how this dude just doesn't give up. He, uh, and not in a good way, sometimes you got to give up. Saul does not give up. Last week, we talked about the infamous story of David and Goliath, but we really, the story should have been called Saul and Goliath for us last week because we learned from Saul how he responded in that situation with his lack of faith. And the week before that, we talked about his lack of obedience. Today, we're going to talk about his lack of power. See, what happens in between last week, we, last week we were in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, this week we're in chapter 19. What happens between 17 and 19 is that the fame of David begins to rise in Israel. Here is this young man who is then anointed king who slays the giant Goliath and then begins to have other victories and people begin to sing his praises. The famous song arises Saul has slayed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul gets angry at this. Who is this David? I am king. David is not king. He gets jealous. He decides, okay, it's time to kill David. We're not going to have this in the land where somebody is praised higher than I am. And so he begins to look for David, and he begins to try to kill him. But David gets word, and he flees from Saul. And David goes to the one person that he knew that he would be safe with, and that's Samuel. But then Saul learns where David is, that he's been hiding with Samuel in a certain town. And that's where we pick up today's story. As I was reading this in just kind of my own personal devotion, I've read this passage several times. And what I'm going to do today as we read this passage together is I'm just going to share some things that I believe God was speaking to me while I was reading this passage and reminding me of. Because it's just such a beautiful passage of being reminded of who God is. So in 1 Samuel chapter 19 verses 18 to 23, that's where we're going to read and you can read along with me on the screens. It says, now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived in Nioth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. 
Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, Saul doesn't give up, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Nioth in Ramah. And he went there to Nioth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied. Until he came to Nioth in Ramah. The word of the Lord. There's three things that I want to talk about today that really just struck me as I read this passage and I wanted to share with everybody today. What a powerful passage. The first thing that I want to talk about is this, that God will accomplish what he wants and we cannot thwart him. God will accomplish what he wants, and we cannot thwart him. I think of God's will sometimes like this. You know, if you, anybody ever read a good book? You know, me, I'm an avid fiction reader. I love to read fiction. I like to get lost in a good story, uh, Shows just annoy me sometimes because they end and you didn't get to the end of the book. You know, like it, I have to wait a whole nother year to finish the story. But when I'm reading a book, I, can, I know I can read to the end of the book. And that's what's one of the things I love about fiction. But if you've ever had a good book and you started to read, a, you started to read the book, what a good book will do is it will pull you into the tension that the characters have, into the tension of the story. And if it's good enough, it will be hard to put that book down because the story captures you. But when you're captured in that story, what happens is that you don't know what's going to happen and, and you feel the anxiety of the characters. Oh man, is this person going to live? Is this person going to accomplish what they have set out to do? But they don't know about this other person that's you know, trying to stop them from what they're doing and all these other pieces. As the reader, you and the narrator have this view that the characters in the story don't. So you're seeing even more tensions that the characters are and that tension plays off and, and you figuring out, man, what is going to happen? But what I love about a book is that it's not like real life. And that, you know, for me, this, this is my, and every, every week for like the last three months, you have had this analogy, and you're going to keep getting them. We're having twins, right? This is on my mind 24-7. They're coming in like three weeks. I would love to read further in the book and see how this whole twins thing plays out. I wonder how Justin's going to survive this one. I wonder if Heather and Justin are going to sleep, you know? Like, it would be great to read ahead. But as characters in the story, we don't get to read ahead in our own story. But when we're reading a book, something that satisfies me as I know I can kind of read ahead and the better the book gets the faster I begin to read 
And sometimes I need to remind myself that the story of the earth is like a good book. And we are sometimes characters in that book where we may be experiencing the tensions, we may not understand what is going to happen, and we may be trying to fight against the author and the narrative. But the truth of the matter is, is that the book has already been written. And we know the author. See, life a lot of times is like a book. Where even though you're experiencing the tension, you're experiencing the anxiety, the, the, uh, the unknowables of the future in the middle of the story, the truth of the matter is, is those pages have been written already. See, David was not going to die no matter what Saul tried to do. There was no scenario, there was no world where Saul got to kill David. And Saul thought, I can kill this guy. I'll send more messengers, I'll send more messengers. And then he, the, the little adage, if, if you want to get it done right, do it yourself. And he decided, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it myself. And what he failed to realize is in the story of Saul versus God, in the story, in the, in the battle of willpower, in the battle of destiny, there is only one person who is going to win. And it was not Saul. This reminded me of another story in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah. If you've never read that book, uh, I encourage you, go read it. It's about five, six chapters. Uh, it's, it's a quick read, but it's a good read. Jonah got a call from God. Go preach to the city of Nineveh. Now, some history of, of Jonah, part of Israel and Nineveh. Nineveh was a city who oppressed Israel. And God tells Jonah, go preach to them so that they can repent. And Jonah says, no way ever is that going to happen. One, I hate these people. Two, I know you're merciful and that if they repent, you will forgive them. And I don't want you to forgive them. And so Jonah decides to take this into his own hands, and he gets on a boat, and he goes to Spain. He goes the opposite way. He was supposed to go deeper into the Middle East, into Iran, but instead he goes towards Spain and the Mediterranean. But God cannot be thwarted. If we're pulling out tambourines and banners and running around today, then we are repeating to our neighbor, God cannot be thwarted. And so what happens with Jonah is God sends a storm to him. And the, the people on the boat are freaking out what is going on. And Jonah finally comes and confesses. And he says, I'm sorry, guys. You need to throw me over. This storm is not going to go away. And they're like, we're not throwing you over. Then the storm gets worse. And it's like, all right, we're throwing you over. And so they throw him over into the sea. A big fish comes, swallows him up. He lives in the belly of a fish for three days. Come on, God cannot be thwarted. And then that fish spits him out back in the direction he was supposed to go. You ever have a moment in your life that God had told you to do something and you thought, no, I have better plans. Then you had to learn, my God, you cannot be thwarted. 
See, the truth is the enemy will try to do evil. People may try even to do evil as well. Saul wanted to do evil to David. So even in your situation, if you are worshiping during worship and you're in the middle of a battle and you are learning to praise God and say hallelujah in the battle, know this, that if God is not done with you, no one can say otherwise. That other people may try to do evil, they may try to destroy you, they may try to take you out. But God will take all the things that they will do and that they have meant for harm, that they will meant for evil, and that he will turn it around and he will use it for his good. I, even in the story of Jonah, when Jonah tried to run away, God took this story of a man trying to run away to do evil to a whole city by not preaching the gospel to them. And now we get it as a lesson for the, to the end of time. See, I learned a while ago most often my time is spent better praying rather than thinking. My time is spent better praying rather than thinking. Because when I think too much, what happens is I begin to play God in my head. I start to run through the scenarios. I start to think of all the different avenues. The What if it went this way or that way? And when I do that, I start to think, oh, I have control over this. I can... I'm, I'm going to do this instead, or this is going to happen, or this is going to happen. And when I do that, I hold the anxiety of my decisions inside. Well, if I go this way and it goes wrong, well, I can mess up my family. Or I go this way and it goes wrong, I can mess up my job. Or I go this way and it goes wrong, I can mess up my finances. Or I go this way and it goes wrong, I can mess up my friendships. And what happens is when I spend too much time thinking, the anxiety, the pressure, the weight of being God becomes to come on my shoulders. But what happens is instead when I, when I pray, instead of think, I remember who is God. And whatever he wants is best. Wherever he is calling me to go is where I should go. Wherever he is calling me to walk is where I should walk. And in those moments, I stop trying to go against them or I stop worrying about people that are doing things or saying things against me because God cannot be thwarted. If God has set something in motion that he has said is going to happen, it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter what we do, God's will will be done. The second thing that I learned from this is that God's power is greater than ours. God's power is greater than ours. Saul really ran in there thinking that he could kill David. These are the things that Saul knew when he was running in there. He knew a couple of things. He knew that David was anointed by God. He knew that the Spirit of God had left him, it says previously, that the Spirit of God had left him, and then we see it a little while later, later that it comes and rests on David. So he knew that not only was David anointed to be the next king, but the Spirit of God had left him, and now it rested on David. 
Yet he still thought his kingship made him powerful enough to beat the word of the Lord. And what does he do? He sends messengers three times, one after another, to go and get David. And then he goes himself. Sometimes we get it in our head that human authority is more powerful than God's authority. Sometimes we get it in our head that, that the, the, the forces of this world are more powerful than who God is. That, man, they, they can create and enforce law to ruin me. Well, look at the story of Daniel. They created laws to get rid of him, and they couldn't get rid of him. Man, they can turn others against us. Look at the story of Joseph, how many people were turned against him over and over and over again. Yet who prevailed in the end? God did. Today we may think all it will take is a tweet that will send our lives in a tailspin. And it's easy to start thinking, man, that maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought. Maybe God isn't as big, maybe he isn't as vast, maybe he isn't as all-consuming as I thought. But when we read stories like this in Scripture, it just reminds us that God is powerful, and he is more powerful than any person, he is more powerful than any king, he is more powerful than any other quote-unquote power on the earth. In Romans chapter 8, it says this in verse 38 and 39, it says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. So everything I just mentioned, let's add on anything else that you can think of, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says death. Life, angels, rulers, powers, time itself will not be able to separate us from what God has in store. Not anything. <laughs> See that the thing is, is that God's power is so immense, is so strong. He literally, in Genesis 1, it says that the earth and the heavens, the, the moon and the stars, the, the day and night was separated by only the power of his word. That all he had to do was speak into existence the things that are in existence. And now we get it so twisted that we look at creation. We look at the rulers, the power, maybe even the demonic. And we look at all these things and we get scared of them. But we have to remember this. That nothing, nothing, nothing in all of creation... can do something that God does not want it to do. If he does not want us to be separated from the love of God, if he does not want us to be separated from his love, guess what? Nothing in all of creation can separate us. Time, 
powers, angels, rulers, it does not matter. You know, sometimes I pray this prayer. Or sometimes in prayer, I get reminded of this. And, and this prayer is, God, reveal how small I am so that I can truly see how big you are. I forget sometimes. When I get in my head, when I'm, the, the circumstances of life, when other powerful people come against I forget sometimes who God is, and I start to worry, and I start to overthink, and I start to get anxious, and I, and I allow the burdens and the cares to weigh on me because I forget who God is, and I forget how all-powerful he is. That when Saul tries to get in there, the presence of God is so strong that each messenger that they know when you do not fulfill the the, the, the edict of the king, when he gives you a command, that is death. That they get in there, that the presence of God is so strong, they can do nothing but fall under his power and begin to prophesy with the prophets. That Saul says, I'm going to go myself and I'm going to throw at him because I am more powerful. I have a kingdom. I have People under me, I have an army. I am the one that wears the crown. I am the one in the palace. I will go get him and I will kill him. But Saul comes into that place where they were and the presence of God hits him so strong he cannot help himself but begin to prophesy with everybody else. See, the, the third thing that I was kind of just enjoying about this passage and mulling over is this, that when you read the Old Testament and you see, you see the Spirit of God at work in certain places and doing certain things, but as you read all of Scripture and you get into the New Testament, something shifts, something changes uh, with the power of God and the Spirit of God, that the Third thing that I was reminded from this is that God's spirit that was for a few is now for all. See, in verse 23, it says this, And when he went there to Nioth and Ramah, and the spirit of God came upon him also, and as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. See, when you read about the spirit of God at work in the Old Testament, really, you see that it was, it was an exclusive club. You know, I think of kind of that, like the, the, the President's Club. Only a certain amount of people are in the President's Club. I don't know how many presidents, like 40-something, I think. Any history buffs here can say. But a very close amount, right? It, it, this is not a lot of people get into that club. And in the Old Testament, it is kind of similar where the, the Spirit of God came upon certain people to accomplish certain tasks. But before Jesus goes up to heaven, he says something in the Gospels. He says, I'm going to send a helper. 
And when I, when I ascend, when I leave you, this is good because when I leave, I'm going to send you a helper. And what I want you to do is I want you to just wait for him to come. Just wait for him to come. Then you fast forward a little bit. Jesus ascends and the day of Pentecost happens in Acts 2, which was actually just a couple of Sundays ago. We were celebrating the day of Pentecost. What happens in Acts 2 is the Spirit of God comes and rests on the heads of each and every single one of the disciples. And something happened, something changed that where now this was only for a few in the past for certain moments to accomplish certain things. Now the Spirit of God is unleashed on the church so that now every single person can walk in the power and the presence of God. This was no longer an exclusive club for a certain amount of people. This was now for all of God's people during all time. And what the disciples do is they start baptizing people not only with water, but they start baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. In fact, they would come across people, you read about this in the book of Acts, and they say, oh, you've already been baptized with water, but have We actually read about Saul interacting with the Spirit of God before this passage. Early in, this, in his kingship, when he was just getting started, he heard that the Ammonites were attacking Israel. And 1 Samuel says this. In 1 Samuel eleven six, 6, it says, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And so what you read here is this army comes to invade Israel. Saul was just anointed king, but he didn't really start stepping out into his kingship yet. And he was just kind of chilling at home, doing what he normally did. Uh, and then he hears that the, these people come and attack Israel and started laying siege to one of the cities. And when he hears this information, the Spirit of God rushes upon him. He gets angry because of what these sinners are doing. And then he calls all of Israel, and the Spirit of God leads him to muster an army to break the siege. And what happens in that moment is he raises one of the biggest armies in all of Israel's history. Over 300,000 people, men of arms, come, hear the call to defeat the siege. That same spirit that rushed upon Saul to raise that army to free Israel is the same spirit that is with us today. The same spirit that was so thick in that town that every single messenger that came to capture and kill David, that they could not help themselves but fall under his presence and his power, that same spirit is with us today. But the beauty of the Holy Spirit being with us today is that we don't need to be a head of state to receive him. We don't need to muster an army to receive him. We can be alone in our room and cry out to God to be filled with his Holy Spirit. 
and he will come like a mighty rushing wind ready to fill his people. That's how many, many times the spirit of God in scripture is described like a, a wind, a mighty rushing wind that comes in. And we see that in Acts chapter 4 when the disciples were praying because they were just being persecuted. And what happens, it says that the spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind and they were filled with boldness to go proclaim the good news in all of Jerusalem. In Ephesians 1, it says that he, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our promised inheritance. In 1 Corinthians, it says that he will give us gifts to accomplish his will. In Galatians, it says that he will bear fruit in us to make us like Christ. Jesus said that through him, we will do greater things than even Jesus did. The spirit of God that we cannot thwart and the power of God that is greater than all of creation lives in us. When I read this story, I'm reminded of God's power. I'm reminded of his sovereignty. I'm reminded of who he is. But then there's also something in me that will always read stories like this and be reminded of what God can do in me. That if I've ever doubted, and I have, is there heaven? Do I really get to go and be with you, God, for all eternity in your glory? Then I have to look no further than to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because Paul says that the Holy Spirit in our life is a guarantee of what is to come, meaning he is the promise, the, the, the guarantee, the insurance that heaven is real. That when we see the power of God at work today in our own life and other people's life, when we pray for people and they are healed, when we see the power of God come in our own life and transform our heart and our mind, then I know that I am guaranteed heaven. Because if God is doing this at work now, then what does Paul say? That this is how we know that heaven is coming. If you doubt, if you have questions about that, then allow the Spirit to come upon you and do his work in your life. Or be in the room and the Spirit of God enters. That's why I love when Non-saved people come in the room and, and, and God's presence is there. And they keep coming back because, oh, I feel so much peace or I feel so much joy or I just feel different when, when I come to church and I leave differently. And that's, that's the spirit of God. That isn't some force, that isn't emotions, that isn't something that we conjure up every time that we sing. That is God's presence dwelling among us. Showing us that God and heaven and eternity are real. I realize that he has given us gifts. That the spirit of God has not only come, but he, is, he has come bearing gifts for the church. To accomplish what the church is supposed to accomplish. Gifts of faith of knowledge, of wisdom, 
of miracles, of tongues, of prophecy. That these are gifts that are bestowed to the church from the Spirit of God so that the church can accomplish what the church is called to do. That we don't serve some theoretical power in the sky that is distant, that has no care of us, but we serve someone who is actively at work giving things to us so that we can accomplish and do his will. I'm reminded of how powerful he is and that sometimes he chooses to use earthly vessels to channel and communicate his power. I'm reminded when I look inside of myself and I think, Justin, will you ever stop being whatever it is that you tell yourself, whether it's being angry, whether it's being lustful, whether it's being finally to be self-controlled or not quick-tempered or to be kind or to be good or to not be so selfish when you start to ask yourself, will I ever be this way? Will I ever truly walk out what Scripture says to love my neighbor as myself, to give other people credit where I wouldn't have given them credit before, to really be self-controlled when I want to rage at someone or when I want to act out or when I want to go back to that addiction that something in me controls my heart and changes my passions and my desires and my will is conformed to something greater than I. Whenever I wonder about that, I remember God's spirit. That his spirit in us will bear fruit like a good tree or a good plant. And that fruit is love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, self-control. That the more I am filled with the spirit, scripture says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with with the spirit. If you want to know what to do with your time in life where you used to party and you used to go out, but now you're thinking, what do I do? Go home and be filled with the spirit. Because the more you are filled with him, the more that you will see that your desires will conform to his desires. Your, your, your attitude will conform to his attitude. Your, your patience will conform to his patience. Your, your, your loves will conform to the things that he loves. Your future will conform to the future that he has and the one that he wants. And the more time you spend with him, the more time that he fills you, that he dwells around you, that he is around you, the more time that his fruit will bear fruit in your life. And you will see his power at work. One of my favorite stories of God at work in my life is when I first began to see that there was truly freedom from lust. I remember... For years, since the age of 10 years old, I had been introduced to pornography and it had been an addiction from that age until adulthood. But I remember the first year I really started praying and saying, God, I, I need you. I can't live a lie. And for months I was praying to know God. And every morning I was waking up and spending time and being filled by his presence and his spirit. And my life as a pastor's kid was always characterized uh, as pretending to be good but knowing I was evil. Because I always had to keep a front on. And so how that worked out in life is that when I would go to the movies with other people, I would pretend to look away but still try to look at the scene that I know I shouldn't be looking at. 
And I remember the first time I was sitting in a theater, I was by myself because I'm an introvert, and introverts do that kind of thing. I know you extroverts think I'm really weird for it, but I think you're weird that you always want to be with somebody. <laughs> Kid you not, the biggest first fight Heather and I had was me wanting to be alone on Saturdays and trying to tell her that I still loved her. <laughs> and so I remember sitting in that movie theater, and you know when the scene is about to come. And I remember it came on, and I put my head down and looked away and closed my eyes. And I can tell you that I was more shocked than maybe anybody sitting next to me wondering why is this grown man closing his eyes in the middle of a movie right now. And I was shocked because I began to see the fruit of the Spirit of God bear fruit in my life. Whereas something that I thought I would always deal with, that I would always fake, that it would never be real in me, that I would always have to hide from others, that now I truly was repulsed by something that I have always found myself loving in the past. When you spend time with God, his desires become your desires. You begin to be repulsed by the things that he is repulsed from. You begin to love the things that he loves. You begin to hate the things that he hates. As his people, I think there's something beautiful about reading a story like this and being reminded that God's power is real. And thank you, God, that we live in a time that we can experience it every single day whenever we call upon him. And so this week, I, you know, growing up for me, after a sermon like this, we would have a big altar call and whoever wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive it would come up. And I don't knock that because I think to be baptized, uh, we see in scripture over and over again, there is a component of laying on of hands, although I don't think that needs to happen because you see it happen without it. But this was always the thing that we did after a sermon like this, but I don't think that's what we're supposed to do today. I think really what we need to leave here with is homework. Because all too often in my life, my encounters with the Spirit of God were only on, at church. It was only at a prayer meeting, at a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. It was only on a Sunday morning. It was only at a retreat. I never had too many encounters when I was home alone with God and me. But let me tell you, church encounters kept me alive for a while, but it never really made me thrive. When I started to encounter the Spirit of God my, for myself on my own, that was when I started to see myself thrive. Because really what I was doing is I was going from one encounter to another and I was, I was, I was living on fumes. And I was, I was trying to just get by where, oh man, you know, did you, you remember that retreat? It was so good. God spoke this to me then. Man, I can tell you that I cannot get through a day without God speaking to me. His raiment, his living word coming to me and just reminding me in the morning as I open up my scripture and pray and be with the Lord of Justin, I am filling you today. You will get through. You have conquered sin through me. You have died to your old self, and you are risen with me in Christ. 
And as I encounter him daily in that way, I found that that is the only way that I can thrive as his son or you can thrive as his daughter. Because it is a fresh understanding, infilling of his spirit every day that works his power in us and in our lives.